Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at pastorwood.org. And now, here's your host, Jim Wood. Folks, we're continuing our series on the life of prayer. We're in the book, Hearing His Voice, and talking about communion with God, conversation with our Heavenly Father. What do you expect? Pray humbly, pray specifically, pray persistently, and pray expectantly. His will is good, and he wants to bless. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. God answers prayer. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Keep at it. Don't give up. As we persevere, continuing in what God has told us to do, we will receive an answer. I prayed regularly for over 21 years for God to give us a piece of land for a children's home. Every time Susan and I would go on vacation, we'd see a farm for sale somewhere, and we'd say, wow, do you think that could be it? We'd go and walk around the land and pray and say, Lord, if this is the place for the children's home, we'd be so excited. We didn't know how this was going to come about. We didn't have land or money to inherit. But I was confident that someday, somehow, somewhere, God would give us a piece of land. And when he finally did, after over 21 years of praying, I was amazed. The specific answer to our prayer for land came a year before we received it. Our friend, Annette Ryan, had drawn up an extensive plan for a children's home. In her business plan, she suggested that the ideal land would consist of, quote, about 100 acres, dash, about 40 acres of pasture, and the rest wooded, close quote. The plan was specific. The land we were given was 104 acres, 38 in pasture, and the rest wooded. We were convinced that God had clearly answered our prayer. God wants to bless us. He wants us to pray specifically and expectantly so that we can rejoice in his gracious answer. Most of us don't expect God to do what we desire. This is one reason we aren't more specific. We keep our prayers very general, hoping to avoid disappointment. But we don't receive the blessing our generous Heavenly Father is eager to give to His dearly loved children. He wants us to spend time with Him so that He conforms our desires to His, and so grants our requests. Will you start making a list of prayers that God has answered? And then add a few new items that you believe God wants to do. Are you including the names of some loved ones who need to be saved? Do you believe that God wants to bless? Philippians 2, 5-7 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. When we were establishing a governing board for the ranch, 
Susan and I discussed important qualifications, including people who were committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but also committed to a local church body. It was important that the people invited to serve on the board be people who had demonstrated their commitment to whatever local body of believers they were part of. I've seen many ministries crippled by having the wrong people on the board. I wanted people who would have the capacity to seek God's leading, be able to sometimes say no to my ideas, and who would be able to give wise direction to the ministry. Knowing my own weaknesses and capacity to enthusiastically move on ideas without waiting on the Lord, I wanted people who would be able to stand up to me. I know this is important. This is also why I married Susan. (laughs) As I prayed about who to ask to form the governing board for the ranch, I felt that God was telling me to ask a young couple at Mount Vernon. I didn't know them well, but I sensed a depth of spiritual character as I observed them on Sundays. Others, including their Sunday school teachers, had spoken very highly of them to me as well. So even though I didn't know them very well, I sensed God bringing their name to mind each time I prayed about who to ask on the governing board. While the Lord had brought to mind other people I knew very well, I didn't understand why this couple's name kept recurring in my prayers. I told Susan, I feel impressed by God to ask David to be on the board. Please keep praying with me. As we continued in prayer, I realized that before I could ask him, I needed to speak to the financial secretary at our church. As a pastor, I've always made it a point to scrupulously avoid knowing the financial giving record of the members. The reason being, I didn't want finances to ever influence my response to emergency situations in the lives of members. I never wanted to receive a call at 2 a.m. and hear so-and-so has had a heart attack and find my internal response to be, so what? (laughs) I wanted to minister without prejudice. Many people talk vigorously about what the church ought to do and how the church ought to spend its money and how these people need to get behind the program and so forth. And yet often these talkers don't give to support the church ministries. I made an important decision early in ministry. When I was asked, how do you feel about people serving on the finance committee who haven't given a dime to the church in years? I responded, they shouldn't be on the finance committee. The leadership decided together that from that point on, before a person could serve in leadership on the finance committee or on the deacon body, we wanted the financial secretary to review their giving record and say yes or no. We wouldn't know how much various individuals gave, but we wanted a general answer. And this became policy. As I prayed about putting David on the board of the ranch, I went to the financial secretary of our church and said, do you recognize this name? She answered, not at all. I was disheartened and thought, obviously, they aren't giving. I was deflated not only because these nice people weren't givers, but because I must not have been hearing God correctly. I thought God had told me to put David on the board of the ranch, yet if the financial secretary didn't recognize his name, I must not be hearing from God. I felt like my prayer life was in trouble. I really wanted the people God wanted on the board. The next morning during my devotions, as I was listening to the Father, the thought occurred very vividly and clearly Those people have their own business. It's a new business. They may not know what their income will be this year. They may not have had any income during the time they've been at the church. Lots of business owners delay their salary until the end of the year when they know how well the business is doing. I said to Susan, maybe they're going to give at the end of the year. I went to the office that same morning and found a note from the financial secretary. It said, I need to see you immediately. I went to her office, and she looked up and said, I will never forget that name. I asked, what do you mean? 
She said, I will never forget the name you asked about earlier. I came to work this morning and someone had put an envelope under my door. It was a check from them. And I will never forget that name. <laughs> I said, thank you very much. And I went to make an appointment with David and his wife. I told them the story and tears came to their eyes. David said, I didn't know why God burdened my heart so strongly to go and put that envelope under the door. But I knew that if I wanted to be obedient, I had to do it immediately. This incident confirmed for us that God wanted David on the ranch board. In the years that have followed, no board member has played a more significant role in the development of Wears Valley Ranch. We must listen to our Heavenly Father and obey as He directs. It's not enough to talk to God. We must listen, and God will answer. Sometimes it's a long time in coming. God doesn't follow our timetable. We must learn to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. This involves listening and waiting on the Lord, being alert to what God is doing, and being patient. As a young man, I found that being good in sports requires a lot of patience and learning new skills. In the process of learning new skills, you risk looking silly or clumsy to other people. I don't like to look silly or clumsy. I rarely felt secure enough to take risks. But I must overcome my reticence if I'm going to learn to play any sport well. This applies to our prayer life. And our prayer life is much more important than any sport. God put me in a situation that looked monumentally silly to other people when he directed me to move to Wares Valley from Atlanta. Numerous people gave me articles on burnout. Other people seemed sure that there had to be a hidden scandal in my life, perhaps marital or financial difficulties. There was much speculation. Some people hoped that after a few months of disappointment in Tennessee, I'd return to Atlanta as pastor. It didn't make sense for me to take my family and leave such a great situation. The move to Wares Valley makes sense to people now. The reason I'm fulfilled in what I'm doing is because I'm doing what my Heavenly Father has asked me to do. Nothing is as wonderful as being in the will of God. There's no amount of money, no physical comfort, no amount of prestige or power that can compare with being in the will of God. When I left the pastorate, I immediately learned what it is like to be on the other side of the power curve. I left a church with position and resources in the biggest network of evangelical churches in the world. I had grown accustomed to being treated with deference and respect. But the day my resignation as pastor became public, I became nobody in those same circles. I was like Cinderella standing by a pumpkin again. Many people who I thought were my friends didn't even seem interested in what I was going to be doing. They didn't have time for me anymore. They didn't know or care why I was resigning. They just knew that I was no longer the pastor at Mount Vernon. This stung, but it reminded me that only God could birth this new ministry at Wares Valley Ranch. Well, God has done it. We must pray humbly, specifically, persistently, and expectantly because God has promised. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The most wonderful thing we can possibly receive from God 
is himself. He says, I love you and want to bless you. So what do we usually ask for? A new vehicle. Or a good deal on something else we want to purchase. What should we be seeking? God will give us many good things that we ask for, but how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us himself. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He wants to have an intimate, close relationship with us. God, the eternal ruler, wants to live his life in and through us. The world doesn't understand this at all. But God wants us to know him intimately. He wants to meet us in the smallest details of our lives. We are destined for the throne. God wants us to come to him humbly, persistently, and expectantly, making very specific requests of him. We need to pray, speak, meditate, listen, and obey. We need to represent our Father well as we walk in his ways, watching him do supernatural things that make his glorious presence unmistakable to the world around us. Is it the cry of your heart to see God's kingdom manifested on earth? Are you ready to lay down your life in order for new life to be released? Hi, this is Jim Wood. I'm very grateful for the privilege of teaching God's Word now for over 40 years. I've seen firsthand the power of the gospel changing lives for eternity. My wife and I have been blessed with seven children, four of them adopted. Each one is unique, but all of them are ours. In our travels to other countries, we've seen again and again that the human heart is the same everywhere. And everywhere we go, Jesus is the only one who can save. I hope that these broadcasts are an encouragement to you, and I want to ask you to take a few moments to encourage us. I want to ask you to do three things, in fact. First, please visit our website, pastorwood.org, and learn more about our work. Second, please pray for us that we will remain faithful and that God will continue to use us to spread his word around the world. And finally, if the Lord prompts you to do so, please support us financially. We are depending on our listeners to stand with us, and we're praying for God to bless you. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus said, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that when we pray, we're not to make public speeches for the benefit of others. We are to talk directly with God. He goes on to matter-of-factly speak of fasting. He doesn't say, if you fast. Instead, he says, when you fast. 
Apparently, fasting is expected of Jesus' followers, though I've rarely known followers who make fasting a regular part of their spiritual discipline. For most people, fasting is simply going without food. The word breakfast comes from the idea of breaking a fast. The longest time we go without eating is from the time we go to sleep at night until we awaken in the morning. I vividly remember the fascination with which I learned this in second grade. When I came to the word breakfast during an oral reading assignment, I couldn't pronounce it. Rather than just pronounce it for me, my excellent public school teacher turned my struggle into a memorable learning opportunity. She knew I was a pastor's son, and so she asked, Jim, what is it called when people go without eating in order to devote themselves to prayer? I thought for a moment, and though I had never done it, I was able to recall fasting. Yes, and when they begin to eat, what are they doing to the fast? Breaking it. When is the longest time you go without eating? I thought for a moment. Between supper and breakfast. This was one of those delightful aha moments for me when a deep impression was made. I had learned more than pronunciation. I had been reminded that words have a history and meaning. While the nighttime is generally the longest period most Americans ever go without eating, the period between the supper hour and the breakfast hour isn't what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of fasting. Jesus told them, to put oil on their heads as they fasted, because in Jesus' culture, putting oil on the head was a normal routine of good grooming. His point was that our fasting should be humble and private, not making a show of it. For this very reason, I don't recommend putting oil on your head in our culture. That would be a sure sign that something unusual is going on in your life. The goal of fasting is to spend very intimate, private time with the Lord. Other people are not invited. Fasting is meant to strengthen our dependence on our Heavenly Father and to share in very personal fellowship with Him. There are times when groups of believers are called upon to fast corporately. This can be a powerful tool in promoting united prayer, repentance, and intercession. But fasting is not an opportunity to impress others with our spirituality. Going without food between supper and breakfast does not qualify as a biblical fast. And sleeping late in the morning and missing breakfast does not qualify either. When we fast, we aren't just going without food. We're going without food in order to devote the extra time gained to prayer. Eating is something that all of us do. Most of us enjoy. And some of us do a lot. If we fast from food, then we are definitely giving up something which we're conscious of giving up. What I've found, however, is that there is a profound difference between skipping a meal and really fasting. In biblical times, if you fasted from food, you were taking a substantial portion of your day to devote to prayer. In Jesus' culture, a significant part of the day was devoted to mealtime. When we think of meal preparation today, we picture refrigerators and microwaves. In biblical times, meal preparation often involved killing an animal, grinding wheat into flour, and other complicated procedures that we can't even imagine now. Meal preparation was a time-consuming, eventful part of life. It still is in many developing countries today. But even if you didn't have to be involved in the preparation, the meal itself was a time-consuming event. People didn't just gather and wolf down the food. Jesus and his disciples are described as reclining at table. This was the customary way in which everyone ate. 
The meal was presented in multiple courses. Mealtime was also considered an important social time. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The idea was not to grab a burger together. Mealtime was a prolonged celebration of relationship. If I give up a meal today, I'll probably save about 10 or 15 minutes. Not much extra time to devote to prayer. But there are other time-consuming things in my life from which I can fast. In Luke 6, 12, we read, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus was fasting from sleep on this occasion. Jesus purposed to spend the night in prayer rather than sleep. Jesus went outside to pray. I can't prove this, but I believe one reason he may have decided to pray outdoors was because he would be less likely to fall asleep. When we're indoors, it's much easier to fall asleep. If we're outdoors, we must deal with the elements. I've experienced many nights in the outdoors. As a teenager, when I was exhausted, I could curl up on the ground and fall asleep. But even when I'm exhausted, it's much easier to stay awake when I'm outdoors. Of course, Jesus didn't take a sleeping bag, a tent, and a pillow. But Jesus purposefully went outdoors to a remote area and fasted from sleep in order to devote himself to prayer all night long. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, the Apostle Paul gives instructions for a special kind of fast. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Apostle Paul recognizes fasting from sexual intimacy in marriage as a way to make extra time to devote to prayer. Paul emphasizes the need for a couple to mutually set a time limit on a sexual fast. This kind of fast is not simply between one person and God. Your spouse is involved and must agree to an intentional fast in order to devote the extra time to prayer. Fasting is about eliminating a time-consuming activity in order to spend the time in prayer. This also speaks to the Bible's expectations about the time needed in order to develop a healthy sexual relationship in marriage. There are many other things from which we can fast in order to devote ourselves to prayer. For some of us, giving up golf for a week would create many hours to devote to prayer. It's possible to go onto the golf course to pray, as long as you go without your clubs. Talking with the Lord for the amount of time it takes to walk through 18 holes would be very beneficial. Fasting from television has proven to be more than just an opportunity to devote hours of time to prayer. It's also been a way to avoid being conformed to the world for hours at a time. Paul warns us in Romans 12 not to be conformed to the world. A television fast has been one of the most beneficial fasts that Susan and I have found. Please remember, the context of fasting in Scripture is in order to pray, and the purpose of fasting is to enable us to have more time for focused prayer. Fasting isn't simply about going without food. In most cultures today, eating still requires a great deal of time in the daily schedule. So all the things involved in eating are eliminated, and time for prayer is made available. A fast should create awareness in us of intentionally not doing something we routinely enjoy. This awareness should be a reminder to focus on prayer. It doesn't count as a biblical fast when we skip a meal because we're preoccupied and lost track of time. It's not a biblical fast when we can't watch television because cable isn't working. It's not a biblical fast when our spouse is out of town and on business. It's a biblical fast when we intentionally take time to devote to prayer. Susan and I have found the late Bill Bright's material on fasting in the coming revival to be very helpful. There are helpful recipes for vegetable and fruit juices that make a prolonged fast much more feasible. And going without food certainly provides ample reminders to pray. 
Diabetics may be unable to fast from food, but having diabetes does not prevent anyone from fasting. We can all fast in some way. As we look for ways to fast from things that are eating up our time, most of us will gain more time with non-food-related fasts. The goal is to set aside time to intentionally devote ourselves to communing with our Lord. Fasting is not about impressing God with a growling stomach. Fasting is about denying yourself something you normally enjoy in order to devote the time to something much more important to you. Your communication with your Heavenly Father needs to be the most important thing in your life. So, when are you going to fast? Do you really want to talk with God? Are you eager to hear from Him? Are you ready to obey His direction? The fact is, He loves you more than you can imagine. His will for you is good, acceptable, and perfect. He is the only one who can satisfy you, and He has proved that He can be trusted. Forget about trying to use prayer as a way to manipulate God. That would make you the ruler and God just another idol. Instead, immerse yourself in His Word. Focus on Jesus and let His Spirit direct your steps. A life of adventure awaits you. Listen to Him and obey. Well, folks, that's all that we have time for today. But I'll tell you this, these messages are ones that God uh, put on my heart over the years as, as I've been learning about prayer. A lot of it is filled with personal experience, as you can see, as well as some uh, just straight uh, interpretation and exposition of, of scriptures on prayer. But our purpose in all of this is to just encourage you in your walk with the Lord, to encourage you in your conversation with Him. And uh, we would appreciate it if you would let us know that you're listening and that uh, these messages are an encouragement to you. We're happy to send you the book, Calling Him Daddy, if you'll request it. But we need to hear from you in order to do that. God bless you. Be sure and tune in tomorrow. And have a great day today. You're listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. This program is paid for by the generous donations of listeners like you. You can hear Pastor Wood's teachings 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at PastorWood.org. And when you visit PastorWood.org, we would greatly appreciate it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and, if possible, also make a donation to this ministry. So please visit PastorWood.org today or give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments you want to make, I want to invite all of you to contact us at 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org.